0: If you were to take everything that I've learned about communicating and speaking and put it in one sentence, here it is. Do you like that idea of putting it all in one sentence, Dominic? I I do. I love it. All right. You ready? Here it comes. 22 words. Speak to your audience about what they need in an organized way they can follow and get yourself out of the way.
1: Hello, and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is a result of my hunger and curiosity for optimizing business performance, exploring corporate culture, customer addiction, and building high-performing teams. It's full of advice from my guests, entrepreneurs, fellow business authors, and examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The Melting Pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoy the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book, Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Enjoy. Hello, today I'm talking to Joe Weldon. And Joe came to my attention as he's Vern Harnish, author of Scaling Up and Rockefeller Habits. He's Vern's speech, speech coach or speaking coach. And look, Vern speaks and has spoken in public for decades. And so I was intrigued that Vern would feel the need to hire a speech coach. And when he did, who that person would be and what we might all learn from chatting to Joel. So. Joel saves right until the end. What he did to fix Vern, and and it's really insightful. He he had he had Vern change his signature story in a a way which we could all use on you know when we speak ourselves in our written communications on our websites. And so fantastic story to end. But look, Joel brings to life a I guess a phrase from Confucius. You know, find a job you love and never work another day in your life. He's He's 80 and he's still working full-time, saying that he absolutely loves what he does. So we talk about some of his backstory, how he thought he was... he, He would have been the kid that nobody thought would go on to speak in public. He didn't go to college. He didn't think he was smart enough and was a former construction worker, was too shy to speak in public and too shy to sell. And just transformation, awakening, and then Joel felt compelled to go and share what he'd learned with other people. So we have a fantastic conversation, which I think you, can, you could all put to work today or tomorrow whenever you're listening to this in so many small and big ways in your business. So I had a fantastic time chatting to Joel, and I'm sure you'll enjoy our conversation.
0: My name is Joel Weldon from the U.S. of A, a long way across the pond if you're from the United Kingdom. And I've been a professional speaker and speech coach for a long time. <laughs> and Joel, what led you to
1: be a professional speaker? How does, how does one leave high school and think, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to become a professional speaker.
0: Well, you're assuming that I left high school with a plan to become <laughs> a professional speaker. And Dominic, you know, as a great leader, we can't assume anything. Uh, that's as far possible from the truth. Well, let's just imagine that as you're listening to this, and if you are the CEO or an executive in your company or leading a team, just imagine you get an email and somebody says, we want you to talk tomorrow about what you do in your business, and the audience are your ideal prospects, and you got an hour. How excited would you be about that opportunity as you're listening? Well, I
1: I'd, I'd be I'd be absolutely delighted, but I know for, I know from experience probably 9 out of 10. I know this is these are CEOs 7 out of 10 of them will be not dead happy. Well, maybe maybe some of them will do it, but some of them those those that are have always found themselves in sales and 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 sort of lead their business from the front selling. I'm sure it would be absolutely fine because it'd be a walk in the park. But I mean, somebody once said that people fear public speaking more than death, which is a bit weird saying as public speaking is very rarely terminal.
0: Yes, that's true. <laughs> well, it is. It is true. Well, well, Jerry Seinfeld, that great American comedian, had a wonderful line. At a funeral, the person giving the eulogy would rather be in the coffin <laughs> than speaking. And uh, so you're right. The death is sometimes better. And unfortunately, if you did have an opportunity to be on a panel or to share your ideas on some kind of a virtual vehicle right away tomorrow to ideal prospects, well, first, how comfortable would you be? Second, how confident would you be that you would have the right message? Because, uh, Dominic, think about this. All your years of leadership experience, uh, working with the Rockefeller Habits, talking about these principles of scaling up, if I said to you these words which you will never hear, Dominic. Now, I know you're a speaker. You get in front of a lot of audiences, but nobody for the rest of your life will ever say these words to you about speaking. And here they are. Are you ready? Yes. Speak as long as you want. (laughs) Nobody is going to say that. And as you listen to this, as, as an executive, as a team leader, Think of the knowledge you have. If you were going to talk about what you know, and in your case, Dominic, since I'm talking with you as the host, you could literally talk, I'm sure, for weeks about what you know. But nobody's going to give you weeks. They're going to say you got 10 minutes, 30 minutes, 20 minutes. In our case, you said we've got 45 minutes to talk. So what do you talk about when you know so much? And that's the dilemma so many people have is not that they're scared to speak, but they don't know what to speak about. And that's one of the things, when you said to me in the beginning, how did you get out of high school and know exactly what you want to do? That, that's not the case for certainly me or for most people. As a matter of fact, I graduated in the half of the class that made the top half possible. I was, I was a terrible student. And and speaking in front of a group was impossible. I never did in four years of high school. Never stood up in front of my classmates and gave a report or a talk. I took a failing grade. I, I was so shy I couldn't leave my Sunday school class in silent prayer. Now, when you think about that, that's pretty bad. Now you you seem just you're so gregarious and outgoing. And maybe you were comfortable. And as you're listening to this podcast, at 18, how comfortable were you standing up in front of a group? Maybe you were in school plays. Maybe you were class valedictorian. Maybe you were most most likely to succeed. But one of the things that I've learned in 47 years as a Hall of Fame professional speaker is speaking effectively is a learned skill. And I'm living, breathing proof of that, because there is nobody I've met in those 47 years that was worse than I was when I started. And think about you, as you're listening to this, if it is a learned skill, like golf or any sport or tennis, so let's just say golf, because they just had a big tournament here yesterday in Arizona, where I live in Scottsdale. A golfer was never born knowing how to golf. Now, maybe they had a natural coordination or an ability with eye-hand coordination, but whatever these professional golfers can do on a golf course today is because they learned how to do it by practicing it over and over again, by spending hundreds and thousands of hours hitting golf balls and get to that level of professionalism. And the same thing with you, whatever your position is now, as you're listening to this podcast, you learn to be an effective leader. Leadership is not a born skill. You know, I say he's a natural born leader. I don't think that's true, I think we learn it. And we were talking earlier about the people that influenced you, Dominic, in your career and how they all came together at one point through their books. By reading those books, you took that ability that you were born with, but then you applied it to something else, and that's exactly what speaking is. Matter of fact, I never stood up in front of an audience till I was 28 years old, and there were 17 people in the room. I can remember the day, September 4th, 1969. <laughs> and why do you remember the day? Well, because that was the day my life changed. Ah, <laughs> oh, okay. And if you think about your life, there was a day that you had a turning point, an epiphany, something happened. And what happened never would have been suspected by what happened after the meeting was over. And one of the gentlemen that was in the room came back in and he said, Joel, would you like some feedback on this meeting? And I said, well, yeah. He said, first of all, this was the worst meeting I have ever attended in my entire life. And you are the worst speaker I have ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> now, if that was you, Dominic, I mean, you're a powerful, successful guy now. But if that was you at age 28, what would you have done? It, it, could, it, could, have been, uh, it could have been a big blow. Well, I cried. That's what I did. I started, and he yelled at me. He said, stop crying. You're not a baby. You're a man. And I'm going to fix you. Ah. And so I stopped crying. I wiped my tears away. I said, well, I don't know what I'm doing. He says, it's obvious you don't know what you're doing. That's why I'm going to fix you. And you're going to come with me to Toastmasters. Ah, now, okay. are you familiar with Toastmasters? Yeah, from- yeah, yeah.
1: I've had, uh, I've had salespeople in the past who've worked for me who've been part of that organization and, and have joined it to improve their ability as salespeople.
0: Well, yes, because it's based on learning how to speak effectively. I'd never heard of Toastmasters. but it And you said, how do I remember the date? Because I know it was five days later that that meeting was. <laughs> and it was September 9th, 1969, that I walked into the Tempe, Arizona Toastmasters Club. I joined that day, and it changed my life. And I'm still a member. Now, in 2021, that's over 52 years ago. Now that tells you I'm a slow learner, but I'm persistent, I hang in there. And it, it's a life-changing experience for people. So that's one suggestion, if you're not comfortable, join a Toastmasters club, it'll help you. And that was the key to learning that basic belief that it is a learned skill. What were you, uh, what were you speaking on, on that well, occasion? It was, I, I, had, I was a carpenter, banging nails, digging ditches, no college education making 62 bucks a week when a fellow from our church hired me to sell. And and he told me it was a commission job. Do you remember those things, commission yeah, job? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I never yeah. heard the word I because I couldn't talk to people. I was shy, quiet, self-conscious, no confidence. And this was in 1967, two years before that. So I was 26 years old making 62 bucks a week. And I figured that out in 2021 dollars. That's about twenty two thousand dollars a year working hard labor. Yeah. And he said, we we pay a commission. I said, I don't know what that word means. He said, we pay you what you're worth. Well, I didn't like that right away because I didn't think I was worth anything. And it proved out because I made twelve hundred sales calls in four months and one sale and earned forty eight dollars. Now, you coach successful people, inspiring restless CEOs to exceed their goals fearlessly. And here I'm struggling four months, 1, well, 1,199 rejections, one sale, $48, not very good. And when I turned the order in, my boss, Vernon Cavill, and he looked at me, he said, oh, you made a sale. Tell me how you did it. I said, well, they just gave me the money. <laughs> he said, you mean you didn't make it? No, they just wanted the product. And and he said, Joel, you're the worst salesman I have ever hired. And you're never going to make it unless you learn how to deal with people. And I said, well, I don't know how to do that. He said, listen to this record. And then he reached into a drawer, Dominic, and pulled out a record. I thought, well, this is stupid. I don't dance. What, what, what do I want a record for? He said, no, it's not a dancing record. It's a talking record. And I know you know what's going to happen next. That record was Earl Nightingale's Strangest Secret. (laughs) And are you familiar with Earl Nightingale and The Strangest Secret? No, I'm not at all. Really? Well, I'm surprised because it's the largest selling recording in the history of the recording industry. And it had a million dollars, a million sales of a gold record that Columbia Records gave Earl back in the 50s. And if you just go to YouTube, as you're listening to this, just Google in under YouTube, The Strangest Secret by Earl Nightingale. There's videos, there's audios of it. It's still the most listened to single message ever recorded in history on a spoken word message. And it just gave me a whole different perspective. And that's how I accepted this idea of becoming a salesperson, even though I didn't know anything about selling or speaking or communicating, but you can learn these things. And the strangest secret simply was this, Dominic, you become what you think about most of the time. And in hearing that message, it was so profoundly worded and structured and so simple, I reflected on my life and I realized for 26 years, all I thought about was what I couldn't do. What if I thought about what I could do? Now, that sounds kind of, in today's world, that sounds like, well, you must have been an idiot. Well, I wasn't that smart, obviously, doing what I was doing, but it made so much sense. And literally, overnight, I, I became a salesperson because I decided to think about what I could do and, and how wonderful this product was, but unless I show it to somebody, nobody's going to buy it. And the bottom line, within... The next eight months, the first year, I became the number one salesman out of 1,100 working for Mr. Cavill, including the first four months of nothing. And how is that possible? Because we have such unlimited potential. And that just set me on fire. And that's how I got a promotion to do that sales meeting two years later. And then I had to overcome the idea of not speaking. And as you're listening to this, what have you overcome in your life? What restrictions? did you grow up with? I mean, maybe you came from an abusive background as a child and, and there was alcohol or addictions of, to drugs or something like that. And you had no money. And I had no father. I had a mother and that's it. No siblings. I was raised by a single mom. We were d- dirt poor. She worked three different jobs, but I was happy and loved by my mother, but we didn't have anything. And I didn't have a goal to make a lot of money or to be successful. Didn't even know what a goal was until heard that stranger's secret. Remember, I was born in the 40s. This this thinking that we have today didn't exist. We didn't have Vern Harnish's book on scaling up in the Rockefeller habits. None of that was out there then. There was just one book by Norman Vincent Peale, The Power of Positive Thinking, and most people didn't even know about that book. So It was a different time and place. But the point of that as you listen is the people on your team have amazing potential. If you could just figure out a way to unlock it. And I know that those of you that work with Dominic on his coaching program, that's part of it to, to draw out that potential that you have within your organization. So did, uh, did your sales
1: manager then did he draw that out of you or did he give you the record and that and because you you were you had made the decision to change yourself and you were just looking looking for something to crunch through i mean you you'd come to the decision that this is what you wanted to do and he he gives you the record it's different when you come along to somebody and i and i say to you i think you should change here's a record
0: well no he told me He said that that I will never make it doing anything with people, with the attitude I had and my inability to communicate to people, unless I change that way of thinking, and maybe this record will help you. And then he handed me that record with the instruction, take this home and listen to it.
1: He's a he's a very smart man. I read a study last week that said, you know, compared to two different ways of trying to motivate people, one people were told they were really good, it would be great, they'd be able to make it, and then the other one they were told it would be really really hard and it's unlikely they would make it, and the second group were much more likely
0: to succeed. Well, he was truthful, and we became dear friends for the rest of his life. He just passed on at ninety-two not that many years ago and he stayed as a dear friend over all these years because he gave me the record and he set that that path of moving forward and that's what you need to look at with the people in your organization is that there's such unlimited potential but what unlocks it and it's not you as the leader it's them as the person you know nobody empowered me i empowered myself because I had a different outlook. And that's what that record does. And it's still such a powerful message and boiled down to that one statement that you become what you think about most of the time. And we know that our thoughts determine our experience and our actions. And, you know, growing up when I had three coaches ask me, Dominic, to try out for their team, the basketball, baseball, and swimming coach. I never even went for a tryout because I didn't think I was good enough. I didn't even try out. Now, I probably had some natural athletic ability because the coaches approached me, but I couldn't see it. And how many times have you said that about yourself as you're listening to this? Well, I just can't do that. Or I'm not a speaker. Or I don't know how to communicate. So that's the first belief, is that it's a learned skill. The second thing about speaking and communicating effectively is be yourself. It's not a performance. And I know talking to you, Dominic, before the program and now during the program, there is zero difference. <laughs> you are exactly the same person. You are an easy laugh. You giggle so quickly. You had a smile on your face. You bounced in front of that camera when I first saw you. And, and, it, and it's not like you came in like a curmudgeon. I mean, we know people that brighten a whole room when they leave. <laughs> uh, you brighten a room when you come up and you enter because that's who you are. And that's what you need to think of as a leader when you communicate, be yourself. It's not an act. It's not a performance. And, you know, all of this is possible that you've done because of Vern Harnish and what he's created in the Rockefeller habits and and the scaling up material and all of these things. And Vern and I have known each other for many years, and he hired me as his speaking skill coach. So I coach Vern Harnish. As good as he is, he knows he can get that little bit extra better in a presentation, which he has, and he's been a raving fan ever since that happened. So how is that possible from somebody who literally could not lead a silent prayer becomes a Hall of Fame speaker and a speech coach because it's a learned skill and it's being yourself. It's not a performance, it's not acting. And if you're dull and boring, you should speak dull and boring. Now you might think, well, that doesn't sound right. Can't you get a little excited? Well, just think about it. I'm sure, Dominic, you know boring people. I mean, if you looked up in the dictionary, their picture would be next to the word. I mean, they, they, they're just monotone. They have very little energy. So there's a couple of things that they can do. So in working with a lot of these people, just build it in. that say things like, you know, I know as you look at me, I don't look very excited and don't very sound very excited. It just doesn't show on the outside. Inside, I'm so excited about your opportunities, but it doesn't come over. And I think you've seen that with people. Maybe, do you like a story? Go on, go on, give me a story. So I'm speaking at a, a big national sales meeting and the CEO introduces me, the program went great. And then he introduces the next guy and it's the CFO talking to the sales team about the numbers. And then the CEO sits down next to me and leans over. He says, uh, this is Bob. He's the worst speaker you're going to ever hear. I said, what do you mean? He said, we call him boring, Bob. Listen, Watch what happens. This is the worst part of the meeting. And then this guy gets up for an hour and everybody's falling asleep and nobody's paying attention. And he said, it's a shame because these numbers are so important to the sales team. But Bob just Bob's the only one that knows these things. We got to have him here. And I don't know what, the, would you coach him? So I said, sure. So that next year, my assignment was to make Bob better for the national sales meeting. So when I started working with Bob, he said, All right, so you're going to fix me? I said, no, I'm not going to fix you at all. You're fine. He said, I am. I said, yeah, you're boring, but that's, that's That's, that's not a problem. He said, we just have to frame it. He said, all I'm going to ask you to do is let me write your introduction and I'm going to give you an opening statement. And that's all you should do different. Then go right into the same presentation you gave last year. Really? I said, trust me. He said, okay. So, I wrote the introduction and basically it said, okay, now we're up to this part in the national sales meeting that nobody likes. This is when we have our chief financial officer, Bob, give all the numbers, we go on for an hour, everybody falls asleep. Well, we're gonna change the program this year. Here's your assignment. If the person next to you starts to fall asleep, it's your job to wake them up. You've (laughs) gotta hear these numbers now. And then I told the CEO, you gotta point your finger. Now, for those of you in the front row, and and I said, start from left to right, Point at every person in the front row. For those of you in the front row, your job is if Bob starts to fall asleep while he's talking, you've got to (laughs) run up on stage and wake him up. Well, by this time, they are hysterical. Then he says, I know he's boring because we looked it up in the dictionary and there's a picture of Bob right next to the word boring. That's why we call him Boring Bob. So get set for the most boring presentation you're going to hear in your entire life. Here's Bob. <laughs> they gave him a standing ovation as he walked out. He walks out just like the most boring guy you could imagine, goes to the lectern with a big pile of papers, never looks up at the audience and says these words. And it's so clear. And this is like two decades ago. And he says, uh, well, thank you for the introduction. Um Many of you know that Evelyn and I have been married 27 years and on our first date, she slapped me. I wasn't getting fresh. She, she just thought I was dead. <laughs> <laughs> and what did you, you just laugh and they laughed. And, and then he said this, he said, I, I'm not dead. I know I look like I'm dead and I act like I'm dead, but I've got some numbers that are going to keep you alive this year. So if you will pay attention for this, this hour, you're going to have a great year. Well, it, and then he just gave the same presentation, except the numbers all changed. He gave him a standing ovation. And now, as time goes on, being a smart guy, if he's a CFO of a major company, he realized that making fun of himself was the key. So every year, he came up with more boring jokes of how boring he was. and And the last time I heard from the CEO, he said, every year we rate our national sales meeting. Every year now, Bob is the highest-rated speaker we get. Fantastic. And all he did, Dominic, was to be himself. Because just picture this. If you're listening to this and you're like Bob, you're low-key, and somebody shows you a Tony Robbins video with this guy jumping up on the stage and running all around and say, okay, be like that. If you're not that way, you're going to be so uncomfortable. And you're going to become self-conscious. And if you're self-conscious, you're violating basic principle number three of these three beliefs that I'm going to ask you to accept. Number one, it's a learned skill. You can get better. Number two, be yourself. And number three, it's all about the audience. It's not about you. It's what you know that can help others. And I know, Dominic, when you speak, you are so into the idea that these these principles, these scaling up beliefs that Vern created and the Rockefeller Habits are going to be so helpful to this audience that it's going to make them so much more successful. You're not thinking about my hair. Well, of course, you don't even have hair. So it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't matter. You're not thinking about you. It's getting yourself out of the way. Because you're focused on the audience and nothing else. And and that makes such a difference. So so let me give you an example. Let's just suppose, because you're comfortable speaking, I mentioned earlier about if you got an opportunity to speak tomorrow. Let's say somebody calls you up and says, Dominic, we need you to speak about safe driving. So... Give me a couple of things. If you were going to talk about safe driving, because I know you're a good driver, give me some do's and don'ts. What should What, what would you tell people to be better safe drivers? Um,
1: keep a safe distance from the car. In front. Okay, don't tailgate. Keep it back distance. Yeah. Give me another one. Uh, look in your mirror before pulling out. Okay, check what's around
0: you before you're pulling out. What else? Um... Make sure you should have we enough drink, pressure should we in. Text? Should we? What should uh, no, 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 no texting. No texting. No, no drinking. No video.
1: Okay. No, no Zoom meetings whilst driving.
0: No, don't do a Zoom. Uh, okay, all right. Uh, all right. Check so, check your tire pressures, maybe. Oh, check the tire. Okay, so check your vehicle. Okay, does that sound pretty good? Some good thoughts. Yeah. Well, only a couple of them would work. The rest they'd throw you out of the room. Because you didn't ask the one question you should always ask before you make any kind of a presentation. Who's the audience? Ah. So ask me that question now. Who's the audience? Race car drivers. Okay. <laughs> now, we're going to make sure we, 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 we keep a safe distance from the car in front of us, okay? And we're going to not speed. We won't. How many of them are texting while they're in a race at 150 miles an hour? None of them. So that's the difference. If, if belief number three is it's all about your audience and your self-conscious because you're trying to be somebody you're not, you can't be thinking of the audience. So it's getting yourself out of the way and focusing on that audience. And here's a simple assignment. As you're listening to this podcast, look at your last email to a client and count how many times you said I and how many times you said you. You can write a 10 page letter to your clients and never say I, me or my one time. And what a difference it will make to put it all about them instead of you. And and think, Dominic, I mean, you're involved with working and coaching all these wonderful, successful entrepreneurs and business leaders. And think, think about what you get. So let's just say I'm one of your thrilled members and you've been coaching me for a while and I write this letter. Dominic, I'm so happy with the coaching. I'm just getting so much better as a leader and our business is growing. And every time you show up and do a training for our people or hold one of these meetings, I I, I just get even more excited and I'm just so grateful that I'm using you. Now, would you feel pretty good with that? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. But what if it said this way, Dominic, your gifts and your message have been so helpful. You have no idea the impact that you are making on so many people within this organization. Every time you show up, you bring such great value and you have such a unique way of conveying that value so that people on the team use the ideas that you're sharing. Again, you have very little idea of the impact that you're making. I can show you the bottom line and it keeps going up but your impact is far beyond that. Thank you so much and make it a great day. Now I just made that, there's not a single I in that that paragraph. And that's what you need to think of. That was all about you. Rather the first one was all about me. I, 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 And, And not that it's bad to use I, it's the most commonly used word in the English language. But you is such a powerful word. Just that last bit, you
1: know, I felt good about the I thing, but it made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up when you said the you thing. And like I know we I know you were only pretending, but uh but even still it's 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 powerful. We must be hardwired to react that way. And well, I was just I thinking think we and, I, right. and I was thinking, you know, I was thinking sales. Uh, hiring A players, praise within the organization. There's, you know, just even that trick around being deliberate about language, you not I, uh, so many uses every day. Uh, but I've got, I've got a question for you, Joel. Um, yes. So Vern Harnish, accomplished speaker. Yes. Uh, what did you tweak with Vern? Because we, we had a we did a, we had a summit on the farm last September and Vern I uh, couldn't make it because of the travel restrictions but beamed in beamed in and did did a fantastic high velocity high value twenty minutes for us so what what did uh, what did you tweak about his delivery to make him even
0: better? Well, it's interesting because this is as you're listening to this none of this is rehearsed there's no questions ahead of time and Dominic and I have not, no idea what either one's going to say. But the answer to that is just what I said. It was called the U factor. Now huh. you have heard Vern speak before. Are you familiar with his personal story? Ah. About how he grew up in the town and how wealthy the family was and successful, and then his parents lost everything. No, nope, no, nope, I haven't they- heard that story. Okay. That's called his signature personal story. And as a CEO, a leader, as you're watching and listening rather to this podcast, you have a story that you tell of how you got to where you're going. But nobody cares about you. And that's what I told I said, nobody cares about you. Now your family cares about you. Dominic, nobody cares about you. And the people listening to this broadcast are not interested in you. They're interested. What does this guy know that I can use? I mean, Monkhouse, I mean, a name like that, he's better have some content for me or I'm not listening to some guy named Dominic Monkhouse. And, and I know the same thing about me that when I stood up in front of, you know, I've been paid to speak at over 3000 events and have personally coached over 10,000 speakers and nobody is interested in me or anything about me. Now you forced this on me when you asked me to tell (laughs) the story in the beginning but if you will go back and listen to the replay of this, look how many times I inserted the word you. How, how would you have felt if that was you? I mean, what were you like when you were in high school? Were you the valedictorian? Were you able to get up in front of a class? Were you were you? That's the key. And that's what I really coached Vernon. Was his personal story was all I. And all he did was he switched many of those to use and then the first time he told that story in the testimony he gave me was at the EO 30th anniversary meeting and I understand there were like 3,000 people at that event and that was 30 years since he had founded EO and he told that story and he said, Joel, I never had a reaction like that in 30 years. I've told that story for 30 years but never got that reaction. And the only difference was we framed it about the audience. So there's one one part of the story without giving a whole thing away, where I mentioned that they were very successful, the wealthiest people in their town, and then they became dirt poor. And his father had to work cleaning toilets at motels to try to make money to pay for some food and their bills. And he would help him after school. And there I was on my hands and knees with a brush scrubbing out these toilets in this motel for, I forget how much he was getting paid. I mean, can, can you imagine that? So I said, what if you made it about them? So just imagine that for whatever the reason was, your family lost all their income and you had to work and your dad decided that he would clean toilets in a motel and he needed you to help him after school. And there you were, at one point, you were the only kid in school who had a car. You had a swimming pool, you had a boat, you had none of that. What you had was a toilet cleaning brush in your hand and you're on your hands and knees scrubbing out dirty toilets. How would you feel? What would be going through your mind if that was was you? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And that was the switch that connected the audience to that message and made such a great impact on the people he was communicating to. And it's a little tweak, but that's what this system that I've created is all about, that speaking is a system from opening to closing to how you're introduced, to how you use visuals, how do you tell stories? And unfortunately, most people don't know these things because we've been speaking, what, since you're two or three years of of age, Dominic, you haven't stopped since you were a little kid speaking. And we don't even think about the words we use. It's funny, isn't it? There's a, I read a book a, a couple
1: of years ago about a guy who, who'd who been a long distance runner and then he decided to move to triathlon, but he hadn't been a swimmer. So he got some swim coaching and then he realized nobody'd ever coached him on how to run. And so it's the same thing, you know, because stuff, some stuff is natural. Like we speak, it just seems bizarre that you would get coaching on how to speak or having to relearn a skill.
0: Yes. Well, I have a little mantra, you know, your introduction is never your bio, your opening is never, I'm so glad to be here, and your closing is never, thank you for listening. And that's what most people say. You know, (laughs) why, why would you thank people to listen to you? If you're a leader and you're sharing these pearls of wisdom that you've had, that you've learned throughout your career, and you end with, well, thank you. That would be like a guy, and I don't know, what is the biggest amount in pounds of a note of a, of a a paper currency, 50 50 pound note, a 50 pound note. Okay. So imagine you're walking down the street and a man runs up to you and hands you a 50 pound note, Dominic, he hands it to you and then he runs away. He gets about 20 paces away, stops, turns around and says, thank you and keeps running. And you think, what, why was he thanking me? He just gave me a 50 pound note. And that's the same thing in speaking. If somebody says to you, boy, that was a great presentation. I heard you on, on the melting pot and, and that was great. And you send me an email about that. Then I would write, well, thank you. I'm so glad it was helpful for you. That's where a thank you is appropriate. But when you're when you're sharing your wisdom, and like with you, Dominic, with all of the coaching you do with the members that have hired you to scale up their business, you know, to end a meeting and say, well, thank you. Wait a minute. You just doubled their business. So what do you end with? You end with a challenge or you end with a quote or you end with a story or you end with something that's, it's like a bow on a Christmas present. I'm sure that you had Christmas presents this year and you <laughs> wrapped them up, right? But if you put a bow on it, it looks even better. Now, if it's a big bow that present suddenly takes on more value, even though the contents never changed or the wrapping never changed, but the bow sets it off. And that's what a closing should be. There should be a call to action of how they can get in touch with you, how they can use your coaching program like you have. That's fine, but that should never be the close. The close should be something on top of it. So if you were doing this podcast, and I was interviewing you instead of you interviewing me, then the call to action would be, if this makes sense, but then let's talk about it. You know, put that in the chat box or send me an email and we'll schedule a call. That's the call to action. So just imagine, just imagine that you view some of these principles of the Rockefeller habits, and it's five years down the road. It's 2026. You look at the bottom line of your company and sales have quadrupled. Your net profit has gone up 10x. Your turnover is almost zero. And your satisfaction and joy level is off the charts. That's what can happen when you implement the Rockefeller habits and use these tools. Now go out, make Rockefeller proud and use them. Bam! That's a close. <laughs>
1: oh, Joel, that's magic. And um, what? Any? uh any tips? Now that almost the whole world is virtual instead of face to face,
0: is there anything that needs to change? Yes. Look at the camera, never the person on the screen. And that's oh, God, that's that's, that's hard. That's really hard. hard. You can look at them through your peripheral vision, but. Uh, I'm on Zoom almost all day long. I started at 7 this morning and I have a call at 7.30 tonight. So that's 12 and a half hours of many, many different calls with my clients on their presentations. And as a result of that, you, you learn things that your eyes are the only way you can connect virtually. If you and I were sitting in your office in the UK and we could look at each other, that's fine. But we don't do that. But the eyes are really on the camera. And what the mistake most people make is they look at the screen thinking they're looking at the person they're talking to. But the person is not on the screen. They're in the camera. And that's where your eyes should be. Now, you can glance at them on the screen. So if you were asking me a question, I'd say, "Okay, OK, that's a great question. Now, and then I'm going to go right to the camera and talk the answer Right, even if it's just one on one with you, glance at you on the screen, look at the camera. And then in a bigger audience where there's multiple people, I actually cover up my screen so I have nothing else to look at. Ah, Okay. And that's why you want to have assistance. If you're doing something on a virtual call that's including video, have your now you have Katie. She should be monitoring the chat box. She should be looking at the screen. She's Dominic. Dominic, you're not. The slides didn't show up. Uh, Reshare your screen again. Okay, good. They're good now. Fine. So if you always know that Katie had your back, you would be just looking at that camera with that big smile that you have and that giggle in your voice. I mean, if you've listened to this podcast, isn't he an easy laugh? I mean, you could say almost anything, and Dominic would laugh at it. <laughs> so I should have you travel with me. You can be my my laugh. And uh, well, since you like words, you mentioned about words. Here's here's one you're gonna like this. So this guy looks at his girlfriend and says, "When I look at you, time stands still." She falls into his arms and kisses him. His buddy overhears it and says, oh, that's a great line. I'm going to use that with my girlfriend on my next date. Well, the next date comes. His buddy tries to use the line, but he somehow doesn't get the words the same. And he looks at his girlfriend and says, when I look at you, your face could stop a clock. (laughs) Somehow he doesn't get the same result. So, yes, your words are important. Joel, uh, what is it that you know now looking back? What what do you wish you'd known earlier? If I was to go to my 18-year-old self, just out of high school, the one thing I would tell myself is that God has a plan for your life. And I truly believe that. I'm a few months away from 80. Now, I'm working full time. I'm a competitive slalom water skier. I spend a lot of days a year. We have a private ski lake where we have a slalom course that I ski on. And I I kept myself in great shape and do everything I did when I was in my 40s, coming up to 80 now. So I've lived a long time. My social security number is five in America. So (laughs) I've been around a long time. But here's what I've learned that I didn't know when I was 18 that there's a plan for her life. And I think as you're listening to this podcast, if you will look back at your life and and make a list of the good, the bad and the ugly, all the good things that happen, all the bad things that happen, all the ugly things in your life, I'm willing to bet that you can see a blessing in every one of them and all of them contributed to who you are today. Based on those experiences, and even the ones that were the most negative have turned in some way to a positive. And you asked me, how did I remember that date, September 4th, 1969? Because I said that was the day my life changed. If somebody said to me, there I am, this man telling me I'm the worst speaker he ever heard, and I'm crying like a baby, and somebody would say, Joel, this is one of the best days of your life. I would say, what? are you crazy? I'm a complete failure. No, this is going to be your launching bed. This is going to make you a great speaker. Really? And that's what I would tell my 18 year old self. Stop worrying. Don't be afraid. Don't overreact to things that you have no control over and realize that someday when I look back at this experience, there's gonna be good, that it worked out for the best. And I think if you just pause right now, Dominic, since I'm talking directly to you, and think back of your life, of the things that you would put in the bad or the ugly category. And I have no idea what your answer is, but I know it'll be truthful. Can you look at some of those bad and ugly things now years or decades later and say to yourself, you know, had that not happened, I wouldn't have had this or that, or because of that, it caused me to do this or that. So how would you say about your life?
1: Oh, that there's so many things where I think, oh, yeah, no, that didn't go as that didn't go as I planned. Or you might look at that as a failure. But the outcome of that is this, 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 and this. And I wouldn't be here today if it had gone differently. Now, it would have gone differently, but I don't look
0: at those failures or with regret at all. Well, that's it. And unfortunately, many people do have regret or they beat themselves up when something doesn't go right. And I'm not saying that we'd be, you know, Pollyanna about this and say, oh, well, I just bankrupted my company. It's going to work out. No, we do the best that we can, but when when all is said and done and we put our best effort forward and things haven't worked out, then let's think what could be good about this. If that was our first reaction rather than oh this is so terrible, I'm never going to recover, but could there be something good? And do you know the name W Clement Stone? No. Have you, w. Clement Stone was the creator of Success Magazine, but he was the CEO and founder of an insurance company that made him a billionaire. And he died in the early two thousands at ninety nine. I think he was just a couple of weeks short of a hundred. And he was a tiny little guy. And he was one of the first speakers I ever heard in the early nineteen seventies. No, it must have been eighties because he was he was eighty years old when I heard him speak. And he said that when anything bad happened, he would shout out, that's good, out loud, no matter what it was. And then he said, it reset my brain. It reset my thinking to find out what could be good about this. Now, he was telling this in, in a story that he told this large audience at the Palmer House in Chicago at a big meeting where he was the keynote speaker. And he had just finished saying that he had driven in from his home outside of Chicago in his limousine. They had gotten into an accident. His limo was destroyed, but he was OK. The driver was OK. And he, that was in the introduction. I guess somebody had said it. And then he referred back to it. And he said, do you remember that story you heard about my limo being destroyed today coming in? Well, you know, when I got out of the car and I saw my driver was OK, I shouted at him. I said, that's good. And the driver said, what do you mean? He said, we're getting a new limo. (laughs) And just at that point, sitting in the audience as a very young man, and you would have thought the same thing. Well, yeah, you're a billionaire. You can go get a new car. Most people can't. And just as that negative thought was coming into my brain, yeah, it's easy for you to say you're rich. He said, now you might be thinking as you're sitting there that I could say that because I'm rich. How do you think I got rich? Because I kept saying, that's good. And why don't you do the same thing? And he was like five feet tall with a bow tie shouting at us. And I never forgot that. So when negative things happen, that's what I said. Well, that's good. But I didn't know that at 18. So that would be my suggestion. As you think back to your life, realize that there's a plan, that you're here for a purpose. You just didn't show up as a lucky sperm. You're here to do something. Do something significant. And if you're listening to this podcast, you've already done significant things. Losers don't show up on the melting pot listening to Dominic. I mean, what are you telling someone? I'm listening to some guy named Dominic Monkhouse. What? Why would you do that? because she has got some great ideas and I want to keep getting better. Joel, uh,
1: one of the things that I always ask guests for is some book recommendations and the listeners might value value them, but I, I certainly do. What do you think we should be reading?
0: What have you read something recently or you? Burns' book, Scaling Up. I mean, that's a great one, but uh, I think m- my favorite books are John Wooden on leadership, anything that John Wooden, and he was named, if you're not familiar with U.S. basketball, he was a basketball coach at UCLA, had the greatest winning record ever, and never even mentioned the word winning in his coaching, never mentioned winning at all a game, and yet he won more games than any other basketball coach, and was named in 2000 as the greatest coach of the century in all sports, professional and amateur. So anything by Wooden, Wooden on leadership, uh, Coach Wooden his Pyramid of Success, or just Wooden talking, anything that guy wrote. And the other one would be Younger Next Year by Crowley and Lodge. And that book is, is amazing. How to be strong, fit, and sexy until you're 80 and beyond. Well, that's coming up where I am right now. And and that book has been out – let me just see. I have it sitting right here on my desk. When did that get published? That's been out a while. And I read it when it first came out. Yeah, 2004 it came out. So that's been out 17 years, and that's a good one. And, well, and as
1: you were talking about people not caring about you and only caring about themselves, I couldn't help thinking about Dale Carnegie's Win Friends and Influence People. I mean, that's really the main takeaway from that from that book as well. Um Joe what's next? What you're not retiring anytime soon? You're just going to Oh no. How would you going?
0: retire when you love what you're doing? And as you're listening, I hope you're never thinking of retiring. I have a grandson at the Naval Academy in Annapolis and he's in his third year as a midshipman and he's going to have a career in the Navy and and he knows he loves boats like I do because we're we ski and we boat and fish and do a lot of things on water. And and he said, you know, I'm so glad you're not going to retire. I said, of course not. He said, do you know what the Navy calls a ship that's retired? And when they put it in mothballs, I said, no, I don't know. He said, out of service. <laughs> so when you retire, you become out of service. And Dominic, your whole life has been of service to people, to your client, to your members, to your family, to those that work for you to provide this service. And why would you ever stop? And you know, when you have no purpose, you really have no reason to keep living. So I feel like I'm at the top of my game now. I've got all of this foundation behind me. And I've had these coaching experiences working with people like Vern Harnish that are at the top of his game or Kevin Harrington from Shark Tank uh, working with him and some of these other industry leaders that know they could be better at speaking if they just had a better system, a better way of organizing their thoughts because they have too much information. And nobody's ever going to say those words that I said to you. Speak as long as you want, Dominic. No, you can't do that. So how do you know what to talk about when you have so many things? And that's where knowing your audience is. It's what's going to be helpful to them to meet their needs, to overcome their fears or their worries. And that's the key. And that's what we do. And that's why I created this ultimate speaking system and and do this coaching, is to help people organize their ideas, not be different. That's why that boring Bob is such a great example of being yourself. Be you. There is no one else like you as you listen to this. Joe, that's Absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much indeed.
1: We'll put we'll put all your contact details in the show notes. So if people want to get your help on a professional level, they can get in touch. But it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today. Well, wait
0: a minute. Now you can't close on a call to action. The call to action is go to the notes and look at these things. We gotta have a closing. We gotta have a bow. So why don't you ask me? What would I say in closing? What would you say in closing, Joel? (laughs) Thank you for asking, Dominic. Let me give you 22 words. If you were to take everything that I've learned about communicating and speaking and put it in one sentence, here it is. Do you like that idea of putting it all in one sentence, Dominic? I, I do. I love it. All right. You ready? Here it comes. 22 words. Speak to your audience about what they need in an organized way they can follow and get yourself out of the way.
1: Thank you very much for today, Joel. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed myself.
0: Enjoy it and make it a wonderful day, Dominic.